this is our sixth week. This is our last uh, our last Sunday, looking through the six values um, of of this of this church. Um, uh, we started backwards. Started even though our word is simple, we made it as complicated as we could by going back the way. And so we uh, were everyone, every day, everywhere, love, presence, missional identity, and today we're finishing off with scripture. And um, as I said last Sunday, these are these are values for us to consider. We're considering them um, as a as a church family. We're considering them, I suppose, in in a way corporately. Values that shape us as a as a community of people that are trying their best to follow Jesus. And um, but they're also values, I think, for us to consider personally. Every one of these, every one of these values that we have talked about, are important for us as a, as a as a as a body, but they're values for us to consider uh, personally as well. And I hope that you've I hope that you've been able to do that. I hope there's been enough here for us to cons- for you to consider not just how this would impact us and transform us as a, as a church family, but how they would impact you. Uh, and transform you personally. And so when it comes to scripture, there is a lot for us to say. Uh, We could spend a long time um, speaking about the importance and the value of scripture. Um, But for the sake of time, uh, I want to narrow it down to a few uh, important points. Narrowed it down, I think, to, to three, I hope, three significant takeaways takeaways for us and so let's get straight into it the first one um the first challenge for us the reason why we value scripture is because in it we can engage it there is an engagement with scripture for the sake of spiritual transformation so i've been reflecting over the last number of weeks um and thinking back over the last number of years I feel like I almost want to ask you the question, do you know God? Really simple question, isn't it? Do you know God or do you know about him? This is a challenge for me. This is one of those questions that I find myself asking quite regularly. Do you know God or do you know about him? See, there is a knowing when it comes to, when it comes to this idea of knowing him as we our, our English word for knowing, I think, is a bit restrictive. Because whenever we think of knowing in the scripture, it is, it is an experience, it's a knowing by experience. And so I want to know him. I don't want to just know about him. There's lots for us to engage with today that would increase our information. There's lots for us to see that we can know about him. We be able to, we can we can read through and see all of his names. We can see all the things that it says about him. But actually, I want to I want to ask you: Do you know him? Because there's a way of approaching scripture that is there is a difference between approaching scripture to gain information and approaching it 
or engaging it for spiritual transformation. See, I find myself, I find myself just uh, echoing the, the thought and the heart and the desire of Paul over and over again. I love his prayer for us. I love his prayer for those that were following him in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, my prayer for you is that you would have a revelation. You'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. It's the heart of Paul. This is a knowing by experience. That was his heart. You would have this spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon you in order to know him better. He, goes, he uses language in Philippians 3, which I love. He says that everything else, Everything else would be counted as nothing. Everything else would be as loss compared to this surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. I love that. This is not just knowing about Jesus. This is not just knowing the facts about the life of Jesus. This is everything else is nothing compared to knowing him. Compared to experiencing the life that he offers us. And so as I've said, this is really important. This is really important for me because I know that I have done this. I know that this is a huge temptation for me to engage scripture in order to gain information, to engage scripture in order to prepare a sermon, to engage scripture in order to actually prove a point. Like I do that and actually as I've, I, was, I was talking to Judith about this over the last couple of days, it frustrates me at times because I want to engage it for the sake of for the sake of something to change in me in order to know him better. But there's times I find myself engaging with scripture in order to make a point, in order to prove a point. It's not it's not the way that we want to approach scripture. And sometimes we can approach it in order to fulfill a duty. We can approach it to tick off our devotional box for the day. but there is a way for us to engage scripture for spiritual transformation. There is a difference between approaching scripture for our own agenda. And I suppose that just harkens back to the point of approaching it in order to prove our own point. We can go back, we have our own ideas, and we go, we go flicking through scripture in order for it to match up with what we have already assumed what we already believe in order to prove a point in a debate, in order to suit our own agenda. And even though at times our agenda can be good, there's times we can approach it with a good agenda. But there's a difference between approaching it for our own agenda and approaching it just to wait upon God. Approaching it in order to wait upon him. Can I just, can I just read a few verses in Nehemiah chapter 8? Because I think this is a, this is a this is an insight into um, the idea of what it would be like to engage with scripture in order to transform because I'm struck by what's what is what takes place in this story the word of the Lord had been had been hidden for so long and and, uh, and Ezra has got a hold of it 
And so in verse 3 of chapter 8, I just want to read a few verses. I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time, but I would encourage you to go and read through, actually read through the story of Nehemiah. But chapter 8 is where the book of the law is, has been found. And this people have gathered, they've assembled. And Ezra opens it up. The men and women have gathered. And he reads it aloud from daybreak till noon. From daybreak till noon. Like that potentially is a good four, five, six hours, isn't it? Of just like, just reading the word. And all the people listened attentively, we're told, at the end of verse three. And as he opened the book, Ezra opened the book, verse five, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. See, this is, there's no indifference here. There's no passivity when it comes to approaching the scripture. And so all the people stand to engage. And he begins to read it. And those that have been given understanding begin to go among the people and they make it clear and they give the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. And as the story goes on, verse 9, it, it tells us that uh, all the people, as they were listening to the word, as the word was getting a hold of them, they began to weep. They began to weep as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah then says, go and enjoy, go and celebrate, go and have a feast. Do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So I don't have much else to comment on that. I just think it's worth just seeing this approach to Scripture, engaging with it in order to, in order to, uh, in order for receiving spiritual transformation. There is a difference. There's a difference between knowing the biblical stories and finding ourselves in the story, finding ourselves in the story in a way that makes sense of our lives, and and know. God's guidance for our next step. I think there's a difference. There's a difference between knowing the biblical story and finding ourselves in the story in order to make sense of our lives and, and know, know God's guidance, God's leading for our next step. And so there's a couple of other things I want to talk about, but there's, just on that note, there is two practical approaches I want to offer you at the end that I have found really helpful, and I want to offer them to you. But before we do that, a couple of other points I want to make. Psalm chapter 1, can we, go to, can we turn to Psalm chapter 1? Let me read. Let me read these six verses. It's one of those psalms that like, I, don't, I don't memorize much. My memory's not so good. But it's one of those verses, that chapters that I have memorized, but in the moment, I'm too afraid of doing it. You know, when, the, in the, when a pressure, the pressure moment, I don't trust myself. So let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a, there's a pastor of a church in Australia, Mark Sayers, who when referring to this psalm, he, say, he says this is an image of what human flourishing looks like. Psalm chapter 1 is an image of what human flourishing looks like. He actually goes on to say there is no way for any human or any society to truly or wholly flourish without following this model. Feels like a really big statement. Nobody, no human, no society can truly or wholly flourish without following this model that the psalmist gives us here. Very interesting. You show that picture. This is a wee bit of what this, this model looks like. Meditating upon the word day and night. Be like a tree planted by streams of living water bearing fruit. Yields its fruit in season. It's a wee bit like John chapter 15, isn't it? John chapter 15, where, where, where Jesus himself says, uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. So I think Jesus has shown us a wee bit what the model this model for human flourishing looks like that the psalmist was talking about many years previous. And if you were to go to Joshua chapter 1, I think that Joshua chapter 1, again, it's God, God speaking. God speaking to, to Joshua. Moses has died, and now Joshua has been given the mantle. He's been given the, the responsibility to lead the people to the promised land. And so the model that he has offered, the model that God offers to Joshua feels a wee bit similar to the Psalm chapter 1 and to what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He comes to Joshua and says, be strong and courageous. He says it again in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey everything that Moses has given you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, that you may be successful. That you would prosper, that you would bear fruit, I think we could say, wherever you go. He goes on, verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And then you need to remind it, just in case you need to remind it again, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Delighting. 
and meditating on God's words and God's ways. And so this, without being too clinical, this is the, in, this is the input, this is the output, and this is the remaining in him. This is the tree planted by streams of water. This is, what it, this is a, some sort of image of what it looks like to remain in him. A tree planted by the streams of living water. Remaining in his presence. Staying in his presence. And the fruit is the result of having God as our input. Fruit is the result of having God's word, God's word and God's ways as our input. And it's the output that nourishes and feeds others. See, we could go on to look at John chapter 15, what this fruit looks like, how it nourishes and feeds and blesses, blesses others. We begin to see what it looks like. This is, this, is, this is what love looks like, that I would greater love as no one that would lay down his life for his friends. I've chosen you to go and birth much fruit. And he tells us over and over again, I don't know how many times it's in John 15, several remain the key is remain. Let, that, that get, let God's words and God's ways keep being your input. Stay in my presence. Be like the tree planted by streams of living water and then you will bear fruit. When the input is God's words and God's ways as you remain in him, the output is fruit, fruit that will nourish and bless and serve others. Staying by the water. Dad's been taking, the, taking us through on Friday mornings as he leads us to still waters. As he knows if he can get us there, we remain, we abide. And where our input is God's words and God's ways, fruit is the inevitable output from living such a way. These are, like, these are, I know these are like broad strokes I'm giving you this morning. But engaging with the word for the sake of spiritual transformation, I think, is really important for you to consider. Really important questions for you to ask yourself. I think they're important for us to ask as a church family, but they're important for you to ask in your own personal journey with with Jesus. Paul says in Romans 12, doesn't he, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the third point, the third point that I want to make is that, um, again, it feels quite simple, but Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. John 5 verse 39 says, Jesus engaging with the, Jesus engaging with the Pharisees. He's got into many debates with these guys. And he says to them, you have diligently, you diligently study the scriptures. You've been faithful in studying the scriptures. I think it's almost like he would be saying to them, you have been looking at them in order to gain information. You've been studying them in order to make your point, in order to prove your point. In fact, I would almost say that Jesus would be saying, you've been engaging with Scripture in order to use it to condemn. Jesus is saying, you've done that 
because you think by them you possess eternal life. And then it's almost like he hits them with this knockout blow. The scriptures are talking about me. They're testifying about me. They're pointing to me. I think there's a way for us to engage with the scripture that can prove a point, gain information, even condemn. But Jesus is saying, no, they're supposed to keep pointing to me. They're revealing who I am. They're revealing my nature. And he does it again in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. He reveals himself to these two guys that were despondent, that had begun to walk away. They'd walked away. Jesus comes and opens the scripture and beginning with Moses and then with the prophets, he explained what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He went right back to the beginning and went through the book of the law, went through the Torah, went through the prophets and showed them how this was pointing to me. How this was revealing who Jesus truly was. And John 14 verse 9 is, is I would say, as I've engaged with scripture over the last couple of years, John 14 verse 9 is simple verse, but it was probably one of the most revelatory moments that I've had in a long time. And it's whenever Jesus says to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. There's just times when we engage with the entirety of Scripture, we're left with this question, what is God like? And Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us exactly what God is like when he says, if you want to see the Father, you look at me. This is an author that I've really appreciated over the last couple of years. Uh, his name's Brian Zand. And I cannot tell you the amount of times I've heard him say this, this line. He says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known that, but now we do. God is like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when he was not like Jesus. We have not always known it, but now we do. And so I'm not here to offer any answers <laughs> to some of the battles and wrestling that we must do when we go back into the Old Testament. We go back into not even the Old Testament, just when we engage with things that we don't understand. We engage with things that just are beyond us. We engage with things that are above our pay grade. There's much that we don't know. But I'm so grateful for this revelation because there is one thing that I do know, that God is exactly like Jesus. And Paul, Paul, when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, of all the things that he would want to speak about who Jesus was, he points to the cross. I want to know nothing else but Jesus and him crucified. 
And so on the cross, we see Jesus laying down his life for the sake of his enemies. And so there's times whenever I go into the there's times I read some stories in the Old Testament that I really struggle. Stuff that I just don't understand, stuff that I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus is what the Father looks like. Jesus, the life of Jesus. And then his death when he died on the cross for the sake of his enemies. Not to destroy them. In order to, to rescue them, in order to save them. And so for me, that's really important. For me, it's become, it's become my anchor. As I engage with scripture, that's the place that I, that I that's what I remind myself. Jesus has told us, it's pointing to him. It's all about him. He's revealing exactly what the father is like. And so the two practical approaches that I want to offer you that have become really important for me. And to use the fancy language that the it's Latin, isn't it? Lectio Divina. It's this way, of, regardless of the name, it's just a way of approaching Scripture that would cause us to slow down. It's a way of approaching Scripture that would cause us to stop and to wait upon the Lord. See, this is important because we can approach it. There is a difference between approaching it for our own agenda and or in order to wait on God. And so this way of reading scripture just causes us to slow down. Causes us to even be like, even be like what Eli, Eli told Samuel to say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. And honestly, if I'm being really honest, there is, there is most of the time that I do not slow down enough that I do not wait long enough to hear what the Lord wants to say. And so if we were to do, do this Lectio Divina this morning, we would go to Psalm 1 again. And we would wait. We say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we would read through it a couple of times. And, and inevitably, if we are open to what the Lord wants to say, there'll be something that will there'll be a phrase, there'll be a line, there'll be a word that we would just take hold of. And we would read it again and then see if actually the Lord wants to speak something into our own personal walk. If there's something that he wants to actually uh, maybe even bring direction to, maybe bring clarity to, maybe even just in order that we would know him better. And so it's a really simple way. It's, a, it's like you can work it whatever way you want, but the re really it's just to slow down in order to see what the Lord wants to say. Too often I approach, we, I think, approach in order to fulfill a duty, gain information, and miss actually that the Lord wants to say something. Miss that he wants to help us make sense of our lives, to help us find his guidance for our next step. 
The second practical thing is, and this also helps you to slow down, is to actually find yourself in the story. Not just to know the biblical story, but to find yourself in the story. And so John chapter 9 is is the example that I want to give this morning. It's the story of the it's the story of the man that was born blind. And so his disciples asked him, John chapter 9, verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, I would not recommend that you try this, but he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, washed and came home seeing. And then his neighbours, take note of the neighbours, his neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. Even though the man was saying, I am him. How then were his eyes opened? He replied, the man they called Jesus came, made some mud, put it in my eyes, told me to go to wash. I did it and now I'm able to see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. And then we have the Pharisees. The far, they brought him to the Pharisees, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees, this is the neighbors. The, the neighbors brought the, to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And if you're familiar with the gospel story at all, that just freaked the, the Pharisees out. Caused them to say, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The Jews, they still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight. And then they sent for the man's parents. Other people introduced to the story. And they asked him, is this your son? Is this the one that was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And the parents answered, we know he is our son. And we know he was born blind. But, but now he can, how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. I find it interesting that we can approach this. Like honestly, I find myself, I would love just to read over this story, be amazed at what Jesus did. But when I slow down enough, when I approach it enough in, in a way to try and engage for the sake of spiritual transformation, I am deeply challenged as to where I find myself in this story. Am I like the disciples who I'm asking, who are asking the wrong question based on outdated religious beliefs or even cultural, I don't have time to go into it, but even cultural superstitions? Like they're asking the wrong questions based on those outdated religious beliefs. And what about the response? What about the neighbors? The neighbors, it's almost like 
like they were so confused or they were just ignoring what had happened. They're almost unwilling to believe that something so incredible had taken place among them that they ended up passing him on to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, where are they in the story? They are ones that will preserve, preserve, sorry, preserve their religious system at all costs. This is the way it's always been. Nothing like this has ever happened. It was so against the status quo. They were preserving their religious belief system at all costs. Or we can be like the parents. We can be like the parents and just like, if, like if this is true, if this is true, this changes everything. Like if it's true that this man has come and healed our son, brought, he was blind, but now you can see if this truly is the Christ, this means sacrifice, this means surrender. The consequences for the parents were that they could be kicked out of the synagogue. And that's why they're so reluctant to fully embrace that what had happened. He could see, or he was he was blind, but now he can see, but we don't know anymore. Why did you go and ask him? Ask him, and the parents did this because they were afraid that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. They were afraid of the consequences of acknowledging Jesus as Christ, Jesus as Lord. And honestly, like whenever I, whenever I first uh, was approaching this story in order to find myself in it, it left me in a place where I just was, was like, like seeking the Lord for forgiveness, seeking the Lord for his spirit to come upon me afresh in boldness. Because I find myself too much like the parents. Because if it's true that Jesus is who he says he is, if it's true that Jesus has done what the scriptures have revealed that he has done, it changes absolutely everything. The consequences of saying yes to that are enormous. We're laying everything down. We're laying reputation. We're laying rights. We're laying it all down for the sake of pursuing Jesus the Christ. Pursuing Jesus as the new Lord of our lives. And honestly, when we approach scripture that way, when we look at that to find ourselves in the story, it's a lot different from being inspired by it in our devotional reading. We're like, Jesus, what do you want to speak to me here? What do you want to say to me? What, do you, what, what, what needs to be transformed in me? That's why I offer those two. I know that there's many more, and that's like... The good thing about offering this broadly is that then there's others that can speak in. I think it's really important that others can offer practical approaches to how you engage the scriptures for the sake of transformation. And so we offer those three things, engaging with, with scriptures for spiritual um, transformation, offering you this idea of Psalm chapter 1 as being an image of what human flourishing looks like. When our input is God's words and God's ways planted 
in his presence, remaining in him, the output is fruit, fruit that will bless and nourish others. Acknowledging that Jesus is the point. And then I offer you two practical approaches. And hoping that that is enough to stir conversation, hoping that's enough to, uh, for the Lord or the Holy Spirit just to, to uh, lead you in whatever way he wants to. Um, so let me pray, is that okay? Um, the guys come up, finish off with one more song. But Father, uh, God, I acknowledge that God, I'm on this journey of following you. Even that's just the line of that song, just this journey of loving you more. I'm thankful, God, just to be in this journey with you. Thankful to be in this journey with other people. And uh, God, we just want to be able to, to sharpen one another, God. We want to be able to, to encourage one another. We want to be able to help each other. Find a way to flourish. Find a way to be fruitful. And Father, I, I, I'd love to pray for people in the room today that, that maybe Bible reading has just felt a bit dry. God, I pray you'd remove any, any of the guilt that can come with that. We do, we want to be challenged, God, but thank you that there's no condemnation in Jesus. And, and so, God, anything that would, would cause us to feel guilt or or condemned, God, I pray that uh, you would, um, that that would not be in this room this morning. Because there would just be a fresh invitation and a fresh challenge. Thank you that that was your method. You invited people in and then you challenged. They didn't get it right, but you kept inviting and you kept challenging. And so God, we want to we want to respond to that invitation of coming near, of leaning in to listen. We want to pray that we do that. You would just challenge us, challenge us with where we find ourselves in the story, where we find ourselves on the journey. God, we sang for song that we sang. Your word, it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. God, just pray to breathe life into our, our engagement with Scripture. Jesus, that we find you in the pages of Scripture. We find the love and the mercy self-sacrifice God contained within who you are yeah I love you Lord you God so I pray you encourage us to help us to know you more truly know you more in Jesus name